0: the go-to store for the most die-hard Georgia fans. They have by far the best selection of Georgia gear and accessories that you're going to find anywhere at the absolute best prices. Trust me, guys, I've tried them all. Alumni Hall is a no-brainer as the best option for all your Georgia gear. If you are like me, and I know you guys are, the start of the college football season is unequivocally the best time of the year for, for a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons is this is the time of year, at least I do, that I have an excuse to treat myself, as it is time to gear up for the coming season. So go ahead, guys, go to Alumni Hall, treat yourself, the new arrivals from all of your favorite brands. They are hitting the store now, so make sure to pick up your new game day gear from Alumni Hall before it all sells out. You guys know the drill, I'm Tyler, and I am back with the Auburn edition of our Scouting the Enemy series. We're making our way down the schedule, about halfway through the schedule now, And this is a transition year for the Tigers as they finally made the decision to jump off the Gus bus. And I will take you through my scouting report of the Tigers in just a minute. But first, as I reported earlier in the week on an earlier episode, we have hit the 200 follower mark on Instagram, which means that I will be doing our very first Glory UGA Instagram live session next week. Right now, I am tentatively scheduling that for Wednesday at 8 p.m. Evenings are tough for me. Really, the week is just tough for me with my recording schedule. Got a couple tennis matches, a lot of things going on at work. But I want to do in the evening so that I can give more of you a chance to jump on there with me. I think that's probably a time where more of you are available because I know you guys got a lot of things going on in your life too. So I think that's going to work, but I will be able to confirm that more definitively early next week. I just got to try to work out some things on my schedule, but we'll make it happen and it should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to interacting with all of you guys on a different platform and in like a little bit of a different way Uh, I'm almost guaranteed to make a fool of myself trying to do this for the first time. So it's going to be a must listen. That's part of the fun. Got to be able to laugh at yourself. So if you are not following us on Instagram yet, make sure you hit that follow button for Glory UGA Podcast so that you can join us next week. And if you are like I was up until about two weeks ago and you've never quite waded into the Instagram waters, Go ahead, guys. Give it a shot. I think you'll enjoy it. We are bringing you daily content on there right now, and that is really going to kick into high gear once the season rolls around. We've got some exciting ideas that we are, are very excited to roll out, so make sure to follow us there so you do not miss out on Instagram. And also have a couple more shout outs today. Thank you to Luke Duke Ten and American citizens. I know Luke Duke Ten has been with us since the very beginning of this show. Thank you guys both for giving us our latest five star ratings and reviews. Uh, we appreciate you guys supporting us here and, and helping the show out. It really is—it's a huge help, and uh, can't thank you guys enough for that. It may seem like a small thing to all you guys out there, but it's a really big thing for us, and uh, we are very, very grateful. That brings us up to 294 reviews now. So close to that goal of 300 five-star ratings and reviews by the time the 2021 season hits. And guys, I think we're going to do it. I really do. I said it earlier in the week, and I think we're going to get there. I really do. Honestly, when I set that goal of 300, I didn't think we had a chance. And it's another modest goal. I know in the grand scheme of things, 300 five-star reviews isn't some like major deal, but for us it is. And it really is a testament to you guys and how much you support our show. I've said it many times. I'll say it again here real quick. This show would not still be in existence. if It was not for all you guys who have supported us through the ups and downs, thick and thin. And we are just so very appreciative of that, all the support. It really means a lot, guys. And if you have not had a chance to rate and review the podcast yet, no worries. I totally get it. Life is a lot, man. There's a lot going on in all of our lives. So I know even taking just 30 seconds to a minute, that can can seem like an attorney when you got a million things going on. But if you get a chance, that would be awesome. And if not, that's okay too. But a big thank you to everyone who has helped us out there. But all right, let's break down the Auburn Tigers. And after eight up and down years, an absurd contract extension and a lot of waffling, Auburn finally made the decision to get off the Gus bus for good. As since the 2017 season, it had driven straight off the cliff of mediocrity, going 23 and 14 overall and 14 and 12 in the SEC over the past three seasons. And that's just not going to get it done. That's fine if you're like, I don't know, South Carolina or maybe Arkansas, but. That ain't going to cut it at a place like Auburn, who just has higher expectations than that. That's just the reality. There are, there are higher expectations than that fan base. Now, you might say those expectations are unreasonable, but since when has that ever stopped a hardcore SEC fan base? Like Logic and reason doesn't really play into it when you're talking about the SEC. They expect more. They've won at a higher level. They want to win at a higher level. They're hungry. They have those expectations. And Gus Malzahn going twenty three and fourteen and fourteen and twelve in the SEC over the course of three years. That's just not good enough. That is mediocrity. It's not terrible, but it's not good enough for them. So they finally jumped off the Gus bus, and the Gus bus is headed south to Mickey Mouse Land. And then after the attempted coup and failure on the part of certain power players to install former defensive coordinator Kevin Steele as the new Auburn head coach, the Tigers ultimately turned to a recognizable face with a proven track record, winning on the field and recruiting the SEC. Oh, but wait, no, except they didn't. They reached all the way out to the thriving metropolis of Boise, Idaho, and stole one of the hottest names on the market, O'Brien Harson from Boise State. Now, at least that's how it went down if you listen to an Auburn fan tell the story. But in reality, What happened, as we all know, is a fractured program took a chance on a respectable young coach, a good young coach, with a solid but but certainly not spectacular track record as a head coach that took a chance on him. It's a guy who took a group of five power in Boise State that at best, I would say stagnated under his leadership. It was like a major drop-off, but they were not as good as they were Chris Peterson. I mean, in seven years as the head coach at Boise State, Chris Peterson lost eight total games in seven seasons as Boise State's head coach. Eight total games in seven seasons. That's just a little bit over one loss per year. And Harson was good at Boise State. Boise was good with Harson. they won three Mountain West titles under his leadership, but he lost 17 games in six seasons. So that's still good. 17 games in six seasons. That's a little more than two losses per season. That's really good by almost any measure. But again, that's just not what they were under Chris Peterson. They were not as dominant. So at best, you can say they kind of stagnated and took maybe a slight step back. Still really good, but pretty clearly not as good. So that's who Auburn is bring in to be their new head coach. And I think like objectively, it's fair to say that they settled. That's what happened. That's what Auburn did. They settled. This was new athletic director Alan Green's hire. This was his hire. He emerged victorious from that internal power struggle on the plains with that attempted coup to trying to install Kevin Steele's new head coach. He emerged victorious from that. He got the power and he hired his guy. It was his hire. Now, I will say just because this is his hire, that does not mean that Alan Green did not have to settle for Harson as the best and most successful coach that he could land given the circumstances surrounding that job. We all know this, guys. Come on. Anyone with the brain knows that no big name was going to touch that job with a 10,000 foot pole, not with the way the whole Malzon firing and then subsequent failed coup went down. No one was going to touch that job who was worth their salt, at least that had other options. And even if some big name coaches like were just maybe for some reason interested, which I don't think they were based off how that, that search went down, Auburn could not afford them after having to pay over $28 million in buyouts to that former staff due largely to that ridiculous and highly inadvisable contract extension they inexplicably gave Gus Malzon after not winning the SEC and losing to UCF in the Peach Bowl. Just incredibly poor leadership, which is kind of just the story of the history of Auburn athletics, right? That's kind of how that goes. But here they sit. Auburn sits here with a good coach, but one that is still a major question mark in the SEC. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Brian Harson's not a good coach. He is a good coach. He's got a good track record. He's won a lot of games, won some Mountain West titles. But that doesn't mean that he's not still a major question mark in the SEC. And year one, especially on offense, is going to be bumpy as they attempt to kind of purge the malaise that has set in with Gus Malzon's, well, I think very clearly antiquated offensive scheme at this point, and try to replace it with more of a pro-style spread attack under the direction of Mike Bobo, a coach that we all obviously know very, very well. A lot of people looking at this hire have questioned the fit, have questioned the fit of, of Brian Harson being the head coach at Auburn, with him coming from out, out west and, and Boise coming from the mountain west, and have questioned the fit of Mike Bobo coming in as his offensive coordinator. But I think the hire of Bobo makes a lot more sense than some may initially think. He and Harson are actually pretty similar from a schematic and philosophical standpoint. They both want to run the football, they both want to establish a physical identity. I mean, Boise under Harson's leadership, they average. 54% run splits last, the past couple of years, not just last year, but the past couple of years. They're talking about 54% run. So he likes to run the football. We know Bobo likes to run the football. We know that kind of pro style spread attack that he's going to run. So that makes sense kind of schematically and philosophically. And then from a recruiting standpoint, Brian Harson has no roots in the South whatsoever. He had to go out and hire some coaches that knew the terrain down here in the South and understood the culture, have those connections. And there's very few people, especially say at Georgia that are as connected as Mike Bobo is. So I think that was a good hire for him, honestly, but the Auburn fans are going to need to be patient. They really are. I know that's asking a lot of a rabid college football fan base. I understand that. The idea of like us having to go through a potential turnaround like that is kind of nauseating for me. I know we went, kind of went through our own little transition in 2016, and that was tough enough, but I think it's going to be even worse for Auburn this year. But patience is going to be needed. They're going to need it because there are some major holes and deficiencies on this offense. And it all starts with the quarterback position where Bo Nix is coming back for his third season as the presumed starter. Maybe, maybe he's going to be in the starter. You guys know how I feel about him. If you've been with us for a while, if you've been listening to the show the past couple years, you know exactly how I feel about Bo Nix. He was a runaway hype train that has slowed down tremendously, as even the usually clueless national media that were the ones that actually initially kickstarted the hype train, even they have Finally, started to realize that this guy is really just an athlete, kind of masquerading as a quarterback. That's what he is. And don't get me wrong, Bo Nix is a great athlete. He really is a great athlete. I think his strongest attribute is when he uses his legs. I think he's at his best. He's been at his best through his first two years when he was running the football, going out there trying to make things happen with his legs, kind of improvising on the fly. There was that play against Texas A&M late in the season where he he ended up scoring. It was just and it was a great play on his part where he's just kind of running around breaking tackles, making things happen, score a touchdown. That's kind of what Bo Nix does really, really well. And honestly, I don't think that Auburn utilized that skill set enough. And it was always strange, man. I never really quite understood why, because if you think back to Gus Malzahn's quarterbacks historically at Auburn, he's had a lot of those dual threat guys, whether it's Nick Marshall, Cam Newton, he's had those kind of guys. And that's when his offense has been at its best, at its most dynamic, when he has a dual threat quarterback that he can actually run some design runs for. And they did a little bit of that with Knicks, but not near as much as they've done in the past with other guys. And I just never quite got that because that is what made Bo I don't think he's special, but if there's anything special about his game, that's the special part of his game. And I just don't think they ever utilized that enough now, some Auburn fans and national media members, they've been trying to save face this offseason, kind of rationalizing Nix's inadequacies by blaming it on the Malazon offense. And yeah, the Malazan offense was antiquated and entirely predictable. I don't think they utilized his skill set the way they should have. I don't think they maximized what he did bring to the table. But Nix was kind of a prototype fit for that offense, and they just still could not make it work. I do think I'm not completely absolving Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris last year of blame here. You can't completely absolve them. Of course, they have some responsibility in it. But I still, just watching Bo Nix play, I feel like it's far more about Nix than it was about Malzahn, in my opinion. I'm no Malzahn fan. I think that offense is hot garbage. If you've listened to me for a while, you know I'm not big on that offense. It was really interesting and innovative about a decade or so ago. It's been out of date for years now, and he hasn't really evolved. He hasn't really updated. He's been doing the same exact things. One of the most predictable offenses in all of football. Kirby has it figured out and has really just been smothering these Auburn offenses under Malazan. So no, I am not a fan of Gus Malazan. I'm not sure how much success he's going to have at UCF. I think Josh Heupel is a better offensive coach. His system is more innovative than what Gus Malzahn has been running. Unless Gus Malzahn decides he wants to update what he's been doing, which he hasn't really shown any willingness to do. He's kind of had that arrogance. Maybe getting fired will, will light a fire and you change some things. I don't know. But I'm not a big fan of Gus Malzahn. Haven't been a big fan of his offense for years. But I still think this is more about Bo Nix when you really break down the tape. I think it's more about Nix than it was about Malazon. It's a combination of both, sure. But I would I would give more of the blame to Nix here. This guy has just not proven that he can actually play quarterback. Now, maybe that changes this year. Maybe. I don't know. Crazy things happen every day. It's certainly possible. You guys know I don't speak in absolutes. It could happen. But when I watch this guy play, there's so many things in his game that he's got to not just clean up, but he's got to improve dramatically if he wants to be able to change that this year and change narrative and actually show that he can play the quarterback position at a high level because there's so many things. I mean, he bails out of clean pockets far too often and far too prematurely. He really plays like he's still in high school. I mean, you guys have watched high school games a lot, right? Think about like that athlete. A lot of times these teams, they put their best athlete at quarterback, right? These days, put the best athlete at quarterback, and he's just so much Faster, so much quicker, just so much of a better athlete than really everyone else on the field. That he kind of just runs around and make things happen. Even like when the play breaks down, you got the athlete quarterback. He can go make plays with his legs, make things happen, and and you still win football games. He puts up a lot of numbers, right? That's kind of what Bo Nix has been trying to do through his first two years at Auburn. Like he still plays like he's in high school. Like he doesn't really run the system, doesn't really run the structure of the offense, doesn't really play from the pocket. Just kind of runs around and tries to make plays. And yeah, sure, sometimes those plays end up working. Sometimes it's like Texas A&M where he has a, a great magical play, but that's like one in, in like 27. Like it just doesn't happen often. It's the exception. It's not the rule. He doesn't consistently go through progressions when he's dropping back to pass. He's terrible as a drop back passer, actually. He's easily fooled by coverages. He doesn't have answers when they try to disguise things and they show him one thing and then transition to something else. He just doesn't have answers. He's been wildly inconsistent with his accuracy. Again, terrible drop back quarterback. Pro Football Focus graded him out as a 61.9 on a scale of 100 as a drop back grade last year. In two seasons as a starting quarterback at Auburn, he's never completed more than 60% of his passes in an offense that was among the most screen heavy offenses in the country. I mean, how many gimme passes this guy had, he still could not complete above 60% of his passes. That tells you how inaccurate he is. In fact, he had a 48% pass accuracy rate beyond the line of scrimmage. Guys, that is abysmal. He only averaged 6.7 and 6.8 yards per attempt each of the past two years. Guys, that's bottom 10 to 15 stuff. That's bottom 10 to 15 stuff when it comes to quarterbacks in the country in yards per attempt. That's just not getting it done. Like if you're going to throw a lot of screens, that's fine. You're not going to rack up a lot of yards per attempt. You're throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage a lot. When you're throwing as many RPOs and as many screens as Bo Nix was, there is absolutely no excuse for your completion percentage not being up near like 70 plus percent. There's no excuse for that other than you just being flat out terrible and wildly inconsistent with your accuracy. And that's what Bo Nix has been through two years. That, those are just the facts, guys. That is what this guy has been through the first two years on the job, on the planes. And we're expecting him to improve this year in a far more complex offense that's going to put far more on his shoulders that actually requires quarterbacks to consistently read coverages to identify pressures to go through progressions and generally make pre-snap and post-snap decisions beyond just like, oh, first read, he's not there, run. That's basically what Bo Nix has been doing for two years. And he's supposed to improve dramatically this year. That's what Auburn fans want you to believe. Hey, it's year three. He's going to improve. He's finally got a quarterback coach. I think it just defies logic. Again, it's not impossible, but it's certainly not the most likely outcome. It's certainly not. Bobo and Harson, yeah, I will give them this. They are good with quarterbacks. They have a great tracker with quarterbacks. Both those guys do. But you got to have something to work with. And I'm a big believer in the idea that quarterbacks just don't become more accurate in one offseason. You kind of are who you are at this point for the most part when it comes to accuracy. Now, if your completion percentage numbers are low because you haven't been able to read coverages and you're not knowing where to go with the ball and that kind of thing, you can make improvements there. But his completion percentage, when you watch Bo Nick's play, it wasn't really about making poor reads when he threw. Honestly, if, if the first read wasn't there, he's more often not just bailing on the pocket. So it really wasn't about that. It was about him just being flat out inaccurate. That's what it's about. Go watch the tape. That's what's been the problem for Bo Nix, one of the biggest problems. And plus, I'd also say Bobo and Harson, good quarterback coaches, but they've never really featured quarterbacks who whose best skill sets was their legs. Which I certainly, as I said earlier, think is the case here with Bo Nix. And here's the thing too. Bo Nix might not even end up being the Auburn quarterback long term. Like he might not. He who knows he might not come out of camp as the starting quarterback. I think he probably will. I would certainly pencil him in as the favorite here. But even if he does, he might not last the season if things start to go south and he doesn't improve his play. Don't forget TJ Finley transferred over from LSU, had some starting experience last year as a true freshman at LSU, um, ended up kind of falling out of favor there. He transfers to Auburn and he's made it clear he ain't coming to sit on the bench. He's coming to win that job. And Bo Nix isn't a guy that Brian Harson recruited. I, I, I know that Gus Malzahn recruited him, kind of made some assurances along the way, but Bobo and Harson didn't recruit him to Auburn. They have made no promises to this guy. They have no connections to him. They didn't recruit him. They weren't involved in that process. And also, like with Bobo, let's get his track record. To go back to last year. Don't forget South Carolina last year. Helensky was the odds-on favorite. Like everyone was just you know penciling him. like not even penciling, kind of writing in pen. Helensky's name as a starter this time last year, but Bobo comes in, got a fresh set of eyes. He didn't like the guy that was seen as the established starter there, and he goes with Colin Hill. Now it didn't really work out for them. But Bobo has a track record of not necessarily just going with who people assume is going to be the guy. He, we've seen that before. So I, I would just keep that in your back pocket as well. And I also would offer this. These guys, Bobo and Harson, they aren't on shaky ground right now. And maybe they will be at some point, but right now they aren't on shaky ground like Malzahn was last year. Malzahn knew, he knew in coming the season that he was kind of on shaky ground. He was kind of on the hot seat, so he didn't want to upset the apple cart. He kind of gone all in with Bo Nix and he was just going to ride that, right? But right now, Bobo and Harson, they have some capital. They can take the risk of upsetting the legacy apple cart if they think it will help them win more games, if they think TJ Finley really is the better quarterback. So I think they have some cushions to potentially make that tough decision that maybe Gus Malzahn did not have last year. and making it even more unlikely that we witness some sort of Bo Nix transformation. I would, I would say like Bo Nix renaissance, but it wouldn't even be a renaissance. For it to be a renaissance, he would have to have been good at some point. He hasn't been good at any point as a college player. So I think it would have to be some sort of Bo Nix transformation, and making that even more unlikely is their situation at wide receiver, where they are losing essentially, like, I mean, seriously guys, all of their production. They really are. Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, and Eli Stove combined for 238 targets last year at wide receiver. Guys, no other returning wide receiver had more than 15 targets on the season. Those three players, Williams, Schwartz, and Stove, combined for 1,700 plus yards last year, 10 touchdowns. Each of those three guys had at least 40 catches. Of their returning receivers, none of them had more than seven catches on the year. That is a devastating blow to a wide receiver core. Now, maybe there are some talented options. There are some talented options, but they just have not done it before. Not one of them have. So who are the options? Now, we know that a guy we know very well, Demetrius Robertson, he has transferred to already finally showed up on campus. But if Demetrius Robertson is expected to be one of your top receivers as a transfer who got here just as fall camp is starting, what does that say about your wide receiver room? Like, look, I love D. Rob. I love the kid. I, I've I've never met him, but I've heard nothing but glowing things about him. He seems like a wonderful young man. I'm absolutely rooting for him as long as it's not against us. I really am rooting for him. I hope it really works out for D. Rob. But this guy had 42 catches for 440 yards in three years here in Athens. It's not like garbage. Like he did some nice things for us, but he never showed any signs of being a number one wide receiver. He never flashed any of that, and some people in the Auburn fan base, not all of them, but there are some that expect him to kind of come in and be plugged in right away and be a big big time player for them. And I just don't see that. I just, I don't see that. Honestly, he is the most, he is the most experienced and productive receiver that they have on the roster. And this is a guy that really transferred because he just wasn't going to play much here, guys. Like, we know that. Like, I hate to say that, but he wasn't going to be a big part of the plans. So we just have more talented guys and we kind of recruited over him. And so he's going to go to Auburn and all of a sudden be their best guy? Maybe. And if he is their best guy, I think that says that this receiver room is in a lot of trouble. Now, outside of D Rob, who are we looking at here? We've got a guy named Elijah Canyon. It's a big fizzle guy, 6'4, 213. Had three catches for 80 yards, though, last year. Just don't know much about him. Javarius Johnson. This is a guy that some people are kind of looking at as a potential breakout candidate this year. And maybe he will be. I'm sure one of these guys will break out and be their go to guy. We just don't know who it'll be. But. Johnson last year, uh, he's a fast player, but he ran, he's run seven routes in two years. Seven routes in two years. Now, you hear about how fast he is and, and how he had a great spring. You hear all that, and maybe he will be that guy. Maybe. But I can't sit here and predict that. I don't know. The guy's run seven routes in two years. We don't know. Kobe Hudson's another guy from the state of Georgia. Had seven catches for 80 yards last year. Now, he's a former top 150 player in the 247 composite, so he maybe got some talent and maybe could grow into that guy this year. But he hasn't done it yet. We don't know. Zevian Capers is another guy, former five-star, another top, former top 150 prospect. Highly recruited guy. Last year had seven catches for 77 yards. We just don't know. I'm sure, again, one or two of those guys can step up and be good players. But when you, basically everyone that you have returning is a highly inexperienced player with no more than seven catches. And then you got D-Rob coming in as your veteran who transferred in because he wasn't really going to play at Georgia. That's a big concern at wide receiver. I mean, there are really nothing but question marks there. And Bo Nix is supposed to finally right the ship. And this is the year he's going to finally live up to all this potential that I keep hearing about with that group of receivers. I don't know, man. I mean, the guy couldn't do it last year with Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, and Eli Stowe. But he's going to do it this year with those guys? Again, maybe, maybe. But I certainly don't think that's the most likely outcome. Now, I will say this, though. While the passing game will be an adventure this year for Auburn, this offense does have one saving grace, one thing they can really lean on, and that is Tank Bixby. I think he's the best running back in the league. I really do. I wish he was on our team. I think we made a mistake going all in for Zach Evans there and not taking Tank when he wanted to come to Athens and then kind of circling back after the whole Zach Evans thing blew up. I understand we had Zach Evans hiring our board. I get that, but there were also some character issues there. There were some, well, there were at least some concerns, some red flags there, and we kind of ignored those even though Tank Bigsby, there wasn't much of a drop-off. You just watched their take him to high school. Like maybe Zach Evans is a little better coming to high school, but it really wasn't that much of a gap. And Tank never had even a hint of any kind of character concerns or any kind of issues like that. So I think we made a mistake there. I really do. I wish he was in Athens. He should be in Athens, but he's not. He's on the plains. I think he's the best running back in the league, at least among the returning stars. I really believe that. There's some good running backs in the SEC, but I mean, Spiller's good at AM, and m Jaron Ely's good at, at Ole Miss. And, uh, of course, Zeus is a good running back. We got some good running backs in our own right. I think Kendall Milt might have something to say about this by the end of the year. But if you look at... Returning starters, I mean, I think it's fair to say Tink Bigsby is the best running back in this league. I mean, he's quick. He can make you miss. He's physical. Got impressive balance. Really great vision. Got that breakaway home run speed. He's a receiving threat of the backfield. He's really a modern three-down running back. He really doesn't have many holes in his game. He plays really hard. I love watching the guy play, and again, I hate that he's not in red and black. I think he is the truth. I mean, he's he was the third highest rated ball carrier in the nation last year, guys. That's how good he was. And he didn't start the season as a starter, but he took over about halfway through and um, was clearly the guy for them. And if you know anything about Mike Bobo, you know he still favors a physical downhill rushing attack. Now, of course, he's going to incorporate some some of those new age spread concepts into his system, but as at his core... Bobo wants to run the football, and he does a great job of getting the ball into his best player's hands. He does a really good job of identifying who that best player is and then feeding him the football. Case in point, we saw Carolina last year with Kevin Harris. He knew Kevin Harris was their best player or their most productive player. That was what they were going to be able to lean on, and he fed him and fed him and fed him. And I expect to see a lot of the same thing with Tank Bigsby this year. And I, I, I mean, I, really, it's just to me, it's obvious. You have to imagine that in this system with Mike Bobo calling the plays, Bigsby is going to be the featured piece of the offense, especially with the deficiencies at quarterback and wide receiver. I think it's pretty clear to me. Now, they also return Sean Shivers at running back, who is a lightning quick and also deceptively powerful back in a small frame. I think he's a really good complementary piece to Tank, and I expect to see him make some plays this year as well. I like their backfield. I think they have a good backfield, but as good as Tank is, as good as Bigsby is, as has been the case for several years in a row now, I do have serious questions about their offensive line. They were better last year for a couple of years coming into last year they had just been bad. They were better last year, but I would say marginally so. It wasn't like some giant leap. And they do return all five starters, um, but they were again they were they were better last year, but they were still kind of just okay. They were breaking in four new starters. those guys have some experience this year. so I do expect them to be improved. I do, but I still have some questions about the fit here. About their ability to fit the pro style offense that Bobo and Harson have traditionally favored. Bobo Harson wants the bigger, more physical offensive lineman. That's the kind of mentality they want to establish. Whereas traditionally, Gus Malzahn's favored some lighter, quicker guys to run his kind of up tempo spread style, like spread to run style offense. And I just don't know what the fit's going to be like in year one. I'm sure they obviously have a good strength program, or they think they have a good strength program. But there was, I'm sure, an emphasis on getting those guys into the weight room, packing on the weight, packing on the mask, getting them heavier. I'm sure there was an emphasis there, but I don't know. I mean, are all of them going to make enough of a gain to kind of really fit the system that Bobo and Harrison have traditionally favored? I don't know. That's a question I have going into the season. Maybe, but that's certainly a question that I have. So looking at the prospects for this Auburn offense in 2021, I do personally have a lot of respect for Mike Bobo. I know a lot of you out there listening disagree with me and you weren't really fans of his while he was here in Athens I just disagree with that I think Bobo was a really good offensive coordinator and I think that his departure for Colorado State which he left because he kind of saw the writing on the wall but I think that really accelerated Mark Rick's decline because we know I mean Brian Schottenheimer was a clear utter disaster for us so I think Bobo is a good coordinator I think things have passed him by a little bit I would like to see him evolve a little bit more kind of update what he's done but I still think he's a good coordinator. I have a lot of respect for him as a coach, as a recruiter. I think it's a good hire for Auburn to get him. And I and look, I love my Bobo. I really do. I love the guy. I consider him a dog for life. And he did a great job really kind of keeping our program together there in some of the latter Rick years. But this is a major transition year going from that Gus Malzahn system to Bobo's more pro-style attack. And when you change schemes like that, that require different personnel, the first year or two can be very, very ugly. We've seen that with Georgia Tech. Now, of course, this is not as dramatic of a personnel difference when you're going from, like, Paul Johnson's triple option to a spread attack like they have now at Tech, but there's still a difference in the kind of personnel that Bobo wants to run his offense and the guys that Malazan wanted to run his offense. It's just different, and that's exacerbated by the fact that they are inheriting a quarterback that has just never consistently demonstrated the ability to actually play quarterback. And they're going to ask that quarterback to do things he has never had to do before, or at least ask him to do things that he's never shown the ability to do on a consistent basis before. A guy that is at his best playing backyard football that is now going to be asked to run a very structured offense. And he's just all of a sudden supposed to make that giant adjustment with no proven production returning a wide receiver. Like Again, Tank Bixby's good. I really like him. I think he's a really good running back, one of the best in the country. But as good as he is, I just don't think he's going to be able to carry this offense to respectability all on his own. I just don't see it.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads.
0: but now let's transition to the Auburn defense. And I really like, it's another good hire. Brian Harson. I like the hire of Mike Bubbo on offense. I really like the hire of Derek Mason on defense. I have a lot of respect for him as a defensive coordinator. Obviously, it did not work out for him as a head coach at Vanderbilt. Doesn't really work out for many people as a head coach at Vanderbilt. But I have a lot of respect for Mason as a defensive coordinator. He's got a great track record there. Even had some decent defenses at times at Vanderbilt. Not always great, but decent at times. Now, my one criticism there is I don't know if Derek Mason is a proven recruiter. Auburn's going to have to be able to recruit at a high level. They're going to have to go into Georgia. They're going to have to win some battles in Alabama. I just haven't seen Derek Mason be able to do that. Maybe he can, He's, but he was at Stanford, Vandy, not really recruiting powers, never really shown me that he can be an elite recruiter, but he can coach defense. But similar to this offense, I, I do think this is a bit of a transition year for the Auburn defense. They are changing schemes a little bit here. They're going from like a base 4 two, 5 scheme that They've been running the past couple of years under Kevin Steele to Mason's base 3-4. Now, of course, we are going to be in a 4-2-5 a lot anyway. Teams play the majority nickel these days. So it's not really as big of a transition, but there's still some of a transition there. But man, like there are some holes on this defense, especially up front, which is a really big departure from where they were the past couple of years in those Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson years. I mean, think about it for a couple of years, guys, like they were as good as anybody in the country up front. They really were. But you look at this line, this defensive line coming into this year, you just don't see those guys. You just don't see them. Like, where are they? The one guy I look at, and I think that he can be a a kind of game changing type player from the front, potentially game changing or a high level player for them, is Derek Hall. He's he's an edge player. I think he has the ability to be a big time pass rusher. He's 6'3, 251. He's really quick off the edge. He's a great first step. He was only a rotational player last year, so we haven't seen him do it consistently. But watching him on tape, he's a guy that really flashes that high-level potential to be a really good edge rusher. He didn't play a ton last year. He was on, he was in the rotation, but not necessarily a starter all the time. But when he got in the game, he was very productive. You watch him play. He was, he was back there making plays when he got opportunities. And if you look at the numbers, it kind of backs that up, what you saw on tape. He grayed out on Pro Football Focus with an 81.9 pass rush grade, had a 20.7% win rate, 18.4% pressure rate. All of those were top five among SEC rush defenders last year. So when he got opportunities, he produced. And I expect him to continue to build on that this year. I think he'd be one of the top pass rushers in the league by the end of the season. But man, outside of that, I just don't know. I just don't know outside of Derek Hall. Tyrone Truesdale was supposed to be one of their top interior linemen. He's no longer with the team right now. So that's a massive blow for them because they don't have much depth there as it is. And he's gone. Colby Wooden opted out last year. He's going to play a lot in the interior. Marquise Burks is a senior who's going to factor in a lot there on in the interior. But like he's been nothing but a depth piece all his career. And all of a sudden now I expect him to jump up and be a big time player. I just don't see it. Again, maybe, maybe one of those things, maybe it could happen. I just, I don't think it's likely. I just don't think it's likely. And you got J.J. Pegues, who's now transitioned to the defensive line. He was a tight end H-back last year under Gus Malzahn. Like he was that big jumbo tight end, jumbo H-back, kind of that Malzon special. Malzahn's always like, like to find that big fullback or H-back kind of guy that can block and and also kind of sneak out there in the past game and and make some plays, but like no one else, no other offensive coordinator in the country really sees him as an offensive player. So malzahn has gone, which means his days of being a ball carrier, touching the football, are gone. So he's transitioned defensive line. He's a good athlete, but I mean he didn't play defensive line last year. We'll see. Like I I just again it's just hard to imagine year one, he's gonna make that transition to be a big time disruptive player for them up front. Maybe in a couple years. I just don't know if I see it this year. So This just is not a vintage Auburn defensive line. It's not a vintage SEC defensive line. It's just not. Those are just the facts. And when you're playing the the Georgias, the Bamas, the Texas A&Ms of the world in this conference, it's going to be really tough to hold up against those teams when you don't have those kind of guys along the defensive front. Like we've talked about for years. You've heard this so many times, I'm sure. Like what separates the top teams in the SEC from a lot of the other programs in the country is that they just have that elite talent along the defensive line. They have multiple guys along the defensive line. Think about what we have coming back. You got Jordan Davis, you got Jalen Carter, you got Devontae White, you got Trevon Walker, you've got Nazir Stackhouse, you've got all these different guys that can come in and make plays for you. I don't even know if Auburn has one guy on the interior. I really don't. I don't know if they have one guy that you could call a playmaker. I just, I haven't seen it from those guys. Maybe one of them steps up. I don't know. Could happen. I just haven't seen it. So I think that's certainly a weakness and deficiency in this Auburn defense. Now behind that defensive line, I would say there is talent at inside linebacker, but I'm not as big of an Owen Papo stan as a lot of people out there are. I think Papo is one of those guys where it's like, oh he was highly recruited and he's a really physically gifted player so let's just talk about him on every single broadcast like he's a superstar even though he plays like a three-star I think he's one of those types of guys like people just remember he was a highly recruited guy there's a lot of hype coming in so you kind of assume he's going to be good without and when you don't really pay attention you don't really watch you're like oh yeah he's out there he's a star and you see him like chase down a guy make one big play oh yeah man that guy he's a stud and it's like well if you watch him down to down he's not he's just not Like can Owen Papo run? Yeah, absolutely. That guy can flat out move. He's like a four-four guy. He can absolutely fly. Does he cover well? Yeah, he had a seventy-seven pass coverage grade last year. That's good for an inside linebacker, and that's all good. He has the attributes that should allow him to be a really good inside linebacker, but he's just never learned how to play that spot. He just doesn't. Like does he just doesn't play the run at a high level? Not even close. Guys, he had a 44.8 rush defense grade last year. Now, you guys know Pro Football Focus, I don't think that they're very clear and transparent on how they come up with their grades. So I have a little bit of an issue with that, but it's a, it's at least something to go off of. And for me, I'm okay throwing those numbers out there when it comes to Papo because it really kind of backs up what you see when you watch him play. When you really zero in on him and you watch him down after down after down and don't just rely on those highlight plays. He'll make some highlight plays. He's got that ability. He's that kind of player, but or that kind of athlete, I should say, where he can just make plays with pure athleticism every now and then. Yeah, he can do that thing, do those kind of things. But down after down after down, he's just not that kind of guy as an inside linebacker. A 44.8 rush defense grade. Why was it so low? Well, for a lot of reasons. He's out of position constantly. He just simply cannot disengage from blockers. If he runs past them and runs by them, he can make a play. But if they get their hands on him, he's done. He, he can't beat it. He just simply cannot. He just has not shown the ability to do that. Because he, he doesn't know how to use his hands, he gets washed in traffic far too easily just really doesn't even put up a fight sometimes, it seems like. He takes really bad angles a lot of the times, and he also, like, he's a great athlete, but if you watch him closely, he'll loaf at times. Like, he's, I don't know if he's always putting his best effort out there at all times, and it's a shame. It's a shame for Auburn because he is an incredibly gifted player. Like, it's hard to find a more gifted athlete in this country playing inside linebacker. It really is. He should be so much better than he is, but he's just never quite developed as like a true inside linebacker now maybe that changes this year like that's the theme of this this auburn scout on the enemy maybe these things change they could but for auburn to be good this year a lot of things are going to have to change and you're, can you really expect all of them to change for the better in one year because that's what's going to have to happen if they're going to have a good year like if they're going to be anything better than like average as grits a lot of things are going to have to change dramatically for the better and maybe a couple of them will. I just think it's unreasonable to expect all of them to do that. I really do. Now, the other guy his running mate inside linebacker this year is a guy named Zacobe McClain, who I think personally has been better. I think Zacobe McClain is a good linebacker. I think he's played better than Papo has. Now, is he quite the athlete? No, he's not. He's not quite as good of an athlete as Papo, but I don't think there's a huge gap there. I think McClain runs well. Um, I just don't think he's quite at Papo's athleticism level. Not quite there, but I do think he's more instinctive, which in a lot of cases is more important as an inside linebacker. I think he's more polished. I think he's a better tackler. I think he uses his hands better. All those things inside linebackers have to be able to do. I think he does a better job of those things. So I think he has been a better linebacker. Do I think he has a higher ceiling? No. If Pavel ever figures it out, he can be insanely good. I just, at this point, I just don't know. I don't know if he's going to figure it out. I'm sure somebody at the NFL level will take a, a flyer on him, will take a, a, take a shot at him because He's that good of an athlete. It's kind of tantalizing. Like, yeah, I'm going to take a shot at this guy and I can coach him up and make him good. But he hasn't been that kind of rush defender to this point in his career. But at the very least, it's a talented, athletic, inside linebacker duo. But just, again, not as productive as some make them out to be, especially Owen Papo. Now, the secondary, I think, should be good, though. I do think the secondary should be pretty good. They have a lot of returning experience, which can be important. I think it assumes more importance in the secondary because one mistake can be six for the other team in the secondary. So I think it's really important to have some experience back there and not have those bust. And Smoke Monday at safety, he's a guy that's played a lot for them. And he's a nice player. He's a good, solid player. I think it's nice, again, to have that kind of experience in the back end. But I would argue and I think it's pretty clear if you watch him play, that Smoke Monday, is a good solid player. He's just not an elite player. He's just not. He's tall. He's long. That's great. I think he's athletic enough, but he's certainly not like a high-level athlete, average athlete. I, I think he's good in coverage playing a center field position where he can read and break on the ball, but I also think a defense coordinator is kind of limited in what you can do from a coverage standpoint with him. Because if offenses can scheme it up to get him matched up in man coverage or like in quarters where he's having to carry the number two wide receiver vertically and defend someone out of the slot, he is absolutely a liability in those situations. Like that is a massive advantage for really any offense. I don't care who you have in the slot. If you're going to match up man-to-man with Smoke Monday at the safety position, that's a a matchup that really, really, really is going to work in your favor because that's just not his game. That's not what he really does well. I also think he's good versus the run when he aligns in the box pre-snap. I think he's a good box safety. He's a physical guy. He's bigger. He's long. I think he does a good job playing inside the box when they align him there. But on the flip side, I think he's very poor in run support when he's coming from depth. And what I mean by that, coming from depth, when he starts like playing deep as a safety and is having to move forward forward to support against the run. He really struggles in those situations. He just takes some flat-out horrible angles. He doesn't really bring his feet. Uh, He doesn't break down. It's just bad. He missed a fourth of his tackles coming from depth last year in the run game. That's just not good enough. So I think he's a good player. I don't think he's an elite player. He does bring experience, which I think is really important in the back end. So I think they're in decent shape with him back there. Now, at cornerback, there's a couple of options there. Miller Miller's a guy that we kind of recruit a little bit as a transfer coming out of West Virginia. Obviously, we ended up going with Tyke Smith and Darion Kendrick. But Miller's a guy a couple teams were looking at. He ends up landing at Auburn. He had a good solid grade lecture, 77.6 coverage grade, coordinator, pro football focus. Had the fifth highest force incompletion completion rate. Did some good things. Number one rated pass defense in the country last year at West Virginia. So he will certainly factor into the cornerback battle. Nehemiah Pritchett probably projects as their slot DB. Their their nickel back. He really kind of came on last year. I think he's a big upgrade of a Christian Tut who was just bad for Auburn, man. Like a liability out there for them. And then he inexplicably decided to declare for the draft. Like he was thinking about transferring, but then decided he was going to declare for the draft. And that just did not work out for him because he's just not an NFL player. He's just not. So I think he's going to project the slot. I think that'll be a big upgrade for them at the nickelback position. But I think Roger McCreary is the guy I believe is going to be the best player back there for Auburn in the secondary. He plays cornerback I, I'm almost certain he's going to start at one of those cornerback spots. We'll see who wins the other one. I think Dresden Miller might win that other job. But I think McCree's going to be the best player back there in their secondary. He's a really good athlete. I think he was improved last year from 2019. He still was not a top-level cornerback. But I saw some signs for him. Now, he did give up too many completions, far too many. Like when I'm watching them on tape. I'm like, man, this guy's given a lot of completions. I, I see some things I like. I think he's a good athlete. I think he has a good physical profile. I think he can be good but he was, wasn't polished last year. Gave it way too many completions. And then you go look at the numbers, like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what I saw on tape. Me had a 60.5% completion percentage allowed, only had a 13.2% forced incompletion rate, which is 125th nationally last year. So just allowed too many completions on his coverage opportunities. But again, I saw some things from him physically that lead me to believe that he can be that kind of guy. And he had some good moments as well. I do project a pretty big jump from him this year. Now, that is based on tape. That is based on what I see from him as potential. I just, again, it's it's another thing where it's like, yeah, I think he could be better. I think he probably will be better, but we don't know. We just don't know. So I'm not ready to quite say this will be an elite secondary for Auburn this year. I just don't know if they have that elite level personnel right now, but I still would say they're secondary. We look at their defense holistically. I think that their secondary should end up being the strength of this defense almost by default, because I think their defensive line, as I laid out, is just not good. There's no game changer up there. Derek Hall is a good pass rusher, but outside of that, there's just not much. The interior is very, very weak right now. Have some talented inside linebackers, but I just need to see more from Owen Papo. So I think this is going to be the strength of the secondary, but that doesn't necessarily mean I think it's going to be an elite secondary. So that is the Auburn Tigers. We will do our win total predictions the Monday of the first game. So I don't want to spoil that and tell you how many games I think Auburn's going to win right now, but I will say this is clearly a transition year for Auburn. We kind of had our transition year back in 2016 when Kirby came over. We, knew, we know we had some growing pains there. That was a tough season to live through. But I think Auburn's going to have even more growing pains. I don't think they have the roster that we had in 2016. They don't have. We had some. We had some guys on that team. Like we had some really good players. As we clearly saw in 2017, basically the same roster, largely the same roster, made a run to the national championship game. That's not the case for Auburn. They don't have those kind of players. So it's a it's a major transition year for Auburn. A new staff, new schemes. Have some personnel that doesn't really fit those schemes. You have a quarterback whose career has been marked, defined by inconsistency and unfulfilled hype, who really in reality may not actually be their starting quarterback all season. You do have one of the nation's best running backs, but essentially no proven outside skill talent returning and a in front seven that lacks playmakers and is largely composed of just depth pieces. So if you put all that together, I think you have a recipe for an Auburn team that's just not going to be competitive against the conference's top teams. I just don't think they're going to be. And I also think they're going to find themselves in some dogfights against programs that that fan base is used to handling with relative ease. The Arkansas, the Mississippi States, of the world. I don't think those are shoeing in give me wins for Auburn. In fact, if you look at their schedule, I just don't know where the guaranteed wins in conference are for this team. Again, we'll break this down in more detail when we get to that prediction show, the win total prediction show. But if you're kind of just kind of... A, tease that a little bit. If you look at it, Auburn's schedule, okay, yeah, they're going to beat Akron. They're going to beat Alabama State. I don't think they're going to go up to to Beaver Stadium and beat Penn State. I don't see that happening. They'll probably beat Georgia State, but I mean, LSU, Georgia, they're not going to win those games. At Arkansas, that's going to be a very competitive game. Ole Miss at home, Ole Miss is probably better than them. At Texas A&M, Mississippi State at home, maybe win that game. Mississippi State's probably going to be better. At South Carolina, will probably be a win, but it's on the road late in the season. Maybe South Carolina will have their act together by then. I don't know. Alabama, so I just I don't know where like the true gimme wins are for Auburn this year. So I think this season could get pretty ugly for the Tigers. And like I said, I think they're they're gonna need some patience on the plains. I just don't know if that fan base has it in them. Like I think it'll be okay if they lose to us, they lose to AM, they lose to Alabama, lose to the teams they should be losing to, at least in their minds, they think it's okay to lose to. But they start losing to Mississippi State, they start losing to Arkansas, start losing to South Carolina. I don't know how much patience they're gonna have for that. And I think all those things are real possibilities. I think they could potentially lose some of those games. So it's going to be a tough year for the Tigers, and I guess we'll just have to see how the fan base and program ends up handling that. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to me here on the podcast. Thank you for supporting us with all those ratings and reviews. We're getting close there, guys. Just a couple more, and we will hit that 300 goal. Follow us on Instagram. We're going to have the Instagram Live, the inaugural Lower UGA Instagram Live video next week. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. So make sure to follow us there. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, Go dogs.